This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerd at Recaps, His Dark Materials with Peter Sagal. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And we are with Peter Sagal. Who liked it? <laughs> Whoa. I know, it took this long, but we're here. I enjoyed an hour of television, uh, and I'm ready to tell you why. So today we are recapping the season one finale of His Dark Materials. It was called Betrayal. Uh, Just to get started, I would like to say we are all very worried about Marcel. We haven't heard from him yet. So, Marcel, if you're out there listening, Courtney, let us know how Marcel is doing because we just want to make sure that everybody's okay. Marcel is the young man who's been uh, watching the show with his mom. Yep, Courtney. And has been sending in these wonderful uh, joint voicemails to us describing their reactions. And Marcel seems innocent and sweet and we're concerned (laughs) about how he might have reacted to this episode. Yeah. You guys weren't worried about my innocence. Well, you read the book. Oh, after after speaking of betrayals... I was I was I expected with the title of the episode that it would end with Lord Azrael admitting that he had read the books and knew what was happening the whole time. That's the betrayal I thought this was going to be about. <laughs> yeah, you knew what was going to happen, bud. You're fine. It was still a lot. It, it was, was a lot. Let's listen to all the voicemails we got about hopes for the finale, sure. and then we'll we'll unpack it. Hey, Nerdette and Peter. Hello, Greta, Trish, and Peter. This is Thomas in Oregon. This is Leah. I'm from Austin, Texas. Hi, Nerdette. It's Derek from Chicago. Big fan, uh, longtime listener, first-time caller. My name is London. I'm from Mississippi. This is Virginia from Seattle. Hey, Nerdette Recaps. This is Barbara from Germany. My name is Kanani. I'm here in Chicago, and my demon would be a black cat. A pocket-sized mule. A finch. My tabby cat, Milo. A baneful hedgehog. My demon would be a flamingo, I guess. And I'm calling because on the plane today, I saw Detective Pikachu, and I really noticed how every person there had a Pokemon with them. I'll become the control since a certain someone broke and read the first book. (laughs) Although, no hard feelings, like, honestly, same. I'm actually calling about Mrs. Coulter. I'm curious if anyone else thinks that Iorik Bernison's voice just sounds like an extremely gruff Winnie the Pooh. Peter has been talking about how she's this unhinged villain and it makes her weak. She is not weak. This is coming from someone who's a little unhinged themselves. And I just wanted to say that I'm really excited. This last episode has me so worried for Roger. As for the finale, I really hope we haven't come this far just for Roger to now be sacrificed by some alternate means of dust capture that Asriel has developed that's just as treacherous as Mrs. Coulter's. Ever since you posed the question, where have all the demons gone? I've, I've just had a song running through my head. I'm watching and listening to this show a few weeks later than the rest because it's broadcasted this way in Germany. I know you're on to the last episode of the season, and I hope it will be awesome. 
I will do all the talking if you'll be a physical manifestation of my soul. <laughs> Wait, is Roger like hot priest or something? Because don't they have the same initials? What happened to the wolves? Where have all the demons gone? Anyway, I love you guys. I wish you all the best. Bye. Bye. And Peter, stay sassy, okay? <laughs> Don't let anyone change you. <laughs> wow. That's the best voicemail montage I have ever heard. You say that every time. It's great, though. I'm genuinely and always newly impressed with Justin's montage-making skills. I do skills. think threading the, the dude singing that was under really was... Something. <laughs> Very artful. Especially with the instrumental introduction before he got to the lyrics, which was, I thought, really great. Stay sassy, Peter. Stay sassy. Don't let anybody get you I love that. I love somebody calling in to express the opinion of the unhinged community. (laughs) I was like, yeah. As a designated representative of unhinged Unhinged women everywhere. How dare you say that about the unhinged. Okay, so... Where did we start? Even I, well, this episode? Uh, I don't know. We we can start with something that I noticed. It was in. I might have been the pre-credit sequence that for the first time that I can remember, somebody mentioned the authority. Oh yes, in the magisterium, that is the first scene. Yes. They're all freaked out. I had been wondering about. Yeah, this. they mentioned channeling the authority, and the authority comes up again and again in the episode. Yeah, and if you listen to the context, it's pretty clear that the, they say authority where we in our world might say God, mm-hmm. and that's important. Because that's who the magisterium serves, is the authority. And it's weird to me they never brought it up. As far as I know, I haven't heard the word. Yeah, I don't think they had until this episode. So we never heard the word authority. Remember I had always said, who does the magisterium worship? What is their religion? Yeah, the authority. The authority. And all of a sudden it's there. And I'm wondering, why did they wait? Why didn't they let us know prior to this? That at the center of the theology is this deity called the authority. I mean, it is a very intense name for a deity. It's pretty like cool. It, it indicates a lot about what they think, that it's just like this scary boss man. Kind yeah, of, it's kind of a corporate you know? org, org chart version of <laughs> yeah. eschatology. They have, they have name dropped sort of things from our understanding of our world's Christianity enough that it felt like, oh, this is monotheistic and such. Like mm-hmm. there's references to Adam and Eve. There's ideas of blasphemy so there has to be someone to blaspheme against i guess mm-hmm. yes and 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 that's been cleared throughout i mean they, they they had quoted their bible i think in a prior episode the magisterium is clearly like the catholic church with mm-hmm. its clerics and its organization but they had never gone so far as to say worshiping whom is we, we know they had an adam and eve is there a jesus uh, or a Jesus-like figure. Yeah, we don't know about the Jesus. And part. and and it was just uh, I'm just, I just noted that all of a sudden they're saying, oh, we, we're about the authority. We do what the authority wants. We we act in the spirit of the authority. I was like, well, okay, that's good to know, I guess. But yeah. where was this the last seven episodes? I wonder if they're extra obsessed with original sin because they don't have a Jesus in their theology. It's possible because, as you would know better than I, Jesus was supposed to come and, <laughs> and save us all. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So the other scene we have before the opening credits hit is uh, Azriel scheming, and he's talking with his leopard demon, and his demon says, it's time. It's time. And he says, I know. I'm just going to say what this TV show needed all along was lots more James McAvoy. Yeah. He's so good. He's excellent. He really is. As we've done in the last couple episodes, I think we should start with the Will storyline first and just kind of get that out of the way since we don't spend a whole lot of time there. And then we'll get to Lyra's business. 
that helps my brain and maybe the the yeah. listeners' brains. Yeah. Well, gosh. Okay, so I'm just going through my notes, finding the Lyris or the Will stuff. Is the first thing we see, we learn that the creepy dude with the mustache is actually a cop. Yeah. Uh, he apparently is some sort of cop. I was like, oh, the first thing we saw was that that guy died. As I believe the Trisha other guy predicted. died. Yes, the other guy's dead. He's lying there. Yeah, he's dead. Which I'd... gives Will a very good reason to flee, right? Because right. all of a sudden, you know, he was already worried about authorities. Yes, getting to know his mother and thinking that she was unfit to be right. his parent, and, and now, now he's, he's like kind of accidentally killed somebody. So we find out there's an APB out uh-huh. on Will Perry. Mm-hmm. So he's being chased um, about, and and then he what? He just kind of lurks moodily in a lot of different places. He does. He's hunkering down pretty hard. He glowers from the shadows. He glowers from the shadows. He follows a cat for a while. Wow, now that I think of it, it's actually a very uh, simple well, storyline yeah. from Will in this episode. <laughs> hunkering, glowering. Bo- Boreal is <laughs> just mad yes. that they let him go. But I don't know what else Bo- we learn about Boreal in this moment. He's back and forth oh, again. I guess, I guess what we learn about Boreal is that he hadn't realized that Will was part of the the action, if you right. will, right? Because Boreal learns didn't know how much the kid knew basically. exactly, or how important the kid would be, right? Because right. right. Boreal, yeah, Boreal so learns from the alethiometer dude that the that Will's dad is what like in a tower surrounded by angels. Uh, the alethiometer, I believe, he says there is a knife in a tower of angels. There is a knife in a tower surrounded by angels, yes. and his son will lead him to it, right. Right. And those of us who have read the second book know exactly what the knife is anyway. I don't remember a tower. But yeah. Well, I mean, the second book is called well, the, subtle the Subtle Knife, knife so, so maybe that's not. Yes. Not so subtle. Super yes. <laughs> Not really. The not, uh, the not so subtle knife. Jeez, guys. But, uh, and I remind everybody that I didn't, in fact, enjoy this episode, but it was weird to see, like, this is the whole culmination of the entire Our World plot thread. Yeah, I was a little I was that's that was my biggest disappointment of the episode and is that it was its conclusion and we can wait till we get there to really yeah. unpack but, it. But we but what did we end up finding out about Will? I don't know. I mean, what I wrote down about Will is Will hunkers down, Will walks and hides, Will sits. Will still sits until he sees a cat. It's like one of those early reader books. (laughs) Will walks down the street is the most complex sentence. Will puts on his hoodie. (laughs) You're right. I mean, anybody who's listened to me gas on about all kinds of things for I don't know how long the show, the last show, knows that I I believe character comes from action, you know. Yeah. You can describe a character, the character can have flowery language, but what does the character do? That's how you know what kind of person it is. And he hardly does anything. As you say, he, he glowers and 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 shifty and, and hides and that's it. And he hasn't done much other than that. He he kind of accidentally killed a guy? I think he is like co conspirator to the cat. I think the cat is really the murderer. You think as I usually yeah. feel about no, cats. That's, yes. Yeah, you know who to accuse. If I'm found dead in my apartment, that's so oh, it's definitely sure. your evil cat. <laughs> if anything happens to Greta, everyone, it was sad. her evil cat. It's totally sad. The, the only last thing I can say about the whole Will plot thread for this entire eight episodes is uh-huh. it's we all those of us who've read the books know Will doesn't appear until book two. Right. They clearly made the decision let's bring Will in in book one so that as we go into season two, I'm sorry I said book I meant season. Uh-huh. As we go into season two, people will have a sense like Will is important. Yeah. But I, after eight episodes, I don't think if you haven't read the books, you have any idea why well, this boy is important. I mean, I still think you have a bigger sense than if we hadn't heard about him at all, right, until season two. Well, like, I think it was a smart way of doing it. And I think we got to know him to the extent that 
we know he loves his mother dearly and that he has to take care of her more than he should for a 12-year-old kid. Right. And that he's got this very mysterious, interesting father who he doesn't know much about, which is like enough to be mildly curious, I think. I guess so. I'm just, I'm like mildly curious is, let me put it this way. Ending up being mildly curious is not a sufficient payoff for what must have been when it was all said and done a solid hour of television over the course of the season, going back and forth to his, yeah. you know, and, and you end up being mildly curious. Yeah. I think that's it. I think they just didn't trust us to spend time in season two in Will's world away from Lyra. Like, I think that they're like, oh, we've built an entire show around Daphne Keene. And we can't have the start of season two be several episodes with Without just some other person Lyra and not Lyra. Exactly. Yeah. And the way time seems to work in the show seems, even though there's fantastical things going on, time seems to make more sense in some ways than it did in a show like Game of Thrones. Yes, it is where, a flat circle here yes. for sure. Yeah, there's there's not like the big opening episode of season two of His Dark Materials stars somebody you've never heard of and not <laughs> everybody you watched last season. <laughs> Like, that would have been weird, too, man. I do think the payoff was unsuccessful. Like, I think they did so much back and forth that I think it would have been very satisfying if they had actually met at the end, even if it were just, like, the briefest scene of the two of them looking at each other. Like, that, I think, would have been so much more exciting than just both of them wandering. I I think you're possibly right. And although the the reason I'm I'm, I'm sort of of stalling is because I wanted to pull up my copy of the book, which is on my Kindle. Let's wait. Let's start from the beginning of the episode and go through it and we'll get to the end when we get to the end. Right. So we have Lyra talking to Asriel. There are a couple really good scenes with those two interacting. Yes, indeed. Let's listen to a little bit of Lyra confronting her dad knowing now, like telling him that she knows that he's her dad. I would have been so proud Why would you have been proud? Because you're Lord Asriel. You're my father. Your mother, she... Do you know who your mother is? Your choice in women is almost as bad as your choice in bears. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we should continue this conversation. Why not? Because it is getting sentimental. Sentimental? And because I wouldn't like to. Are you crying? It's unnecessary. Lyra Balakwa, you are stronger than that. It's Silvertongue now. You don't want my name. Silvertongue feels like my name. It was given to me by someone who actually loves me, which is better than I can say for you. I love that. She rejects Balakwa, he rejects the alethiometer, and subsequently fatherhood, essentially. I know. The rest of that scene goes down. That was such a better scene of that variety than we have ever seen before. And it's partially because James McAvoy is so brilliant. But it's also because it's so sort of complex. Is Asriel a bad guy or a good guy? And that kind of, he's both, obviously. And that kind of complexity is something that we've missed to this point at least insofar as it was successful. And so it was, I, it seemed almost in a weird way for this context real in a way that a lot of other important emotional interactions have been in the show have not. Mm-hmm. Trisha, what did you think of it? Yeah, I completely agree with what Peter just said. I think that 
her feelings about him are genuinely complicated because with Mrs. Coulter, it's like, oh, everything from the music to the costuming is saying villain, villain, villain the whole time. I think right? to the fact that she never knew Mrs. Coulter right. before. Right, and that they had either. no like, pre-existing had relationship yeah. with Asriel. Whereas, yeah, and also I think in some ways we are in the show you know, a little worried about why he had such a strange look on his face when Roger showed up and all that. But up until this point, we see him as a maybe um, not paternal figure, but not a villain in any way. Right. He's he's been kind to her in his own way. He made sure she was safe. All these other things, you know, kept her from getting killed, uh, murdered, basically, to keep her safe in the end. Like he has done things and made some sacrifices for her. Not as many as sort of a traditional, you know, parent would. But so it makes sense that their relationship is just genuinely complicated. It is true. So from there, we go to the creepy airship. Yes. And Mrs. Coulter talks with Father McPhail. Again. (laughs) So many conversations with Father McPhail about how important she is. Well, we do get a little more backstory on... Mrs. Coulter. And I think, too, I mean, that line from McPhail, we have firepower and belief. We have firepower and belief. Two mighty weapons. I think is pretty chilling. Right. Kind of seems like maybe one of the things that they take between worlds as a sort of authoritarian regime is weapons from our world. Right. We talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but those seem very much like our world SWAT team sort of weapons and and things and to see them on that airship is a little chilling also to go oh maybe mm-hmm. yeah that would make sense that terrible people would actually just use it to trade arms yeah i don't know if that is i mean i that definitely isn't a thing from the books but it is interesting just visually how much they obviously look like they don't fit in that world for sure yeah it was also nice just speaking as a boy to have a nice big battle <laughs> boom <laughs> yay boom <laughs> okay Gather around and listen while old Peter Sagelman explains this show to you. Boom. <laughs> uh, so then from there we go back to Azriel's lab. Yes. And Lyra's brushing her teeth. That was uh, there was this and moment where like, her servant says, though? "Does she have everything she needs? Yeah, a brush for her teeth." A toothbrush? And I'm like, did he just invent that word? Did we just note in, the, in this universe the invention of the word toothbrush just happened? It was yeah. such a strange way to put it. It was very strange. Well, and yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I was a little skeptical of the toothbrush. Thing, little toothbrush. But, but he you know. clearly cared. And, yeah. and then they had that scene. I don't know if you wanted to get to this next. Where, where, yes. Where, where, Lyra's uh, taking a bath. Well, Lyra's taking a bath. There's two scenes. First, uh, oh, when Roger walks in backwards yeah. and his demon walks in backwards, <laughs> too. Oh, oh, sweet Roger. Just the best. That, that oh. Uh, if they had had more of that through this entire series, just more little grace notes like that, yeah, I'd be a much happier person. Yeah, it was person. really lovely. But then that scene and then the subsequent scene where they're kind of camping under the sheets. And it yeah. was, you know, like as 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 one of the magisterium guys says, there's some sort of encampment in the bedroom, <laughs> uh, which I thought was cute. Uh, if it, it, I mean, those were lovely scenes, and we haven't talked enough about how the actor who plays Roger is really oh, great. He's so good. He hasn't been given a lot to work with, but he's been there and very present, and yeah. he gives off an aura of goodness and innocence. He he's really great. does. Uh, and those scenes were lovely. It seemed to me that they were saying, hey, guys, Lyra really loves Roger. Yeah. He is her only real friend in this world. Yeah. Just note that. Right. Everybody, everybody cool with that? Because just wait. 
And I'm like, yeah, those are really nice scenes. We should have known that by this time. Yeah, well, especially given that the whole reason for her going this far is to find Roger. It would have been nice if they had done established that a little earlier. For right, sure. right, right, right. Let's listen to Roger and Lyra talking because it's cute. So look at the alethiometer. Ask it how he really feels. Does it know everything? Does it know everything that will happen to us? I think so, but I think it only tells me what it wants me to know, so. Then let's not use it. So we just know what we know, I suppose. I mean, I'm not like you. Would never have chosen to leave Jordan. I know. But now here we both are, halfway around the world. And I'm here because of you. And you're here because of me. Because we changed each other's lives. I like the fact you changed my life. Can't promise I won't stop changing it. Aww. So sweet. It was very sweet. Was it necessary? Should it have been necessary? I don't know. But it's certainly... All I can say is that having just recently reread the book, I was afraid that they would cheese out of the act of betrayal that gives the title. Yeah. It's ep- it gives yeah. the episode its title that, that is the point of the whole book. That's where we get to the point. <laughs> uh-huh. um, it, the big reveal of what Asriel is up to. And I was afraid because it's such a dark thing to do. And as we've yeah. talked about, they have really tamped down the darkness of the book. But they did it. They yeah. went for it. And yeah. they did it with all the power and dramatic weight and horror even. That's why we're worried about Marcel that you could ask for, which is primarily the reason I'm I'm up, I'm, I'm thumbs up in this episode. Yeah, I did really love the line that was from uh, their bath time conversation too when, because um, they're both orphans. Yes. And I think you kind of lose that. And they're obviously still from such different social strata. Mm-hmm. But when he tells her parents are more trouble than they're worth, and like, you know, for her having thought that she was an orphan for most of her life and then finally realizing that these two, like, if not villainous, then at least deeply complicated people are her parents, I thought was just another really lovely moment for them to have. Yes. No, it was great. I, I mean, with, 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 if you put aside the question of do we need this now? Should we need this now? There were lovely scenes. <laughs> well, that's one of the most positive things that you've I'm said. I'm working on it. <laughs> so I guess we'll take it. So from there, Azriel pulls Lyra out of the encampment. Yes. And that's when we get, like, one of our biggest conversations yet about what dust actually is. Let's listen to a little bit of that. They have been trying to convince us for centuries that we are born guilty and that we have to spend a lifetime atoning for the crime of eating an apple. Is there any proof for this heinous stain, this shame, this guilt? No, not at all. We are to take it on faith and on the word of the authority. But dust, dust is an elementary particle that we can record, measure, study. We can take photograms of it. And it has given them what they need, a means by which to control, to oppress, to frighten, and to keep us where they want us, on our knees. That's what my mother thinks she's doing. Cutting away our demons. Preserving our sinless souls. You should have seen them. Those who had their demons cut away. They looked empty. Did they try to cut you, Lyra? She stopped them. Your mother stopped them? She didn't want to damage me. Happy to damage others. Is that a fact? The thought of Pam being cut from me. The bond between human and demon is incredibly powerful. Quite beautiful, really. 
such an immense release of energy when that link is severed. Ooh, did you hear that chord mm-hmm. when he said an immense amount of energy, immense release of energy when that is severed? And you're, doo, doo. There's so many things to talk about. As you said, here it is. Here's yep. like not only an explanation of what dust is or what it might be or what it sh- isn't, but also deep theology, which mm-hmm. has been lurking around the, the corners of this whole show. And now it's front and center. This is about original sin. This is about Eve in the garden. This is about a church trying to control people's souls through what they think is original sin. And this is pretty heady stuff for a kid's TV show or a kid's book, which is, again, one of the reasons I like the book so much. Yeah, totally. This is it's funny because, you know, I mean, I read this book when I was in seventh grade and I ended up like going to a college where I studied a fair amount of Christian theology. And so it's kind of funny to like backtrack that interest because like it has kind of been a through line for me because I just think it's fascinating. Yeah. And and it's it's as we talked about in the first episode, this is based on Paradise Lost. This is about mm-hmm. the fall of man and the redemption and the rebellion of Satan. Uh, and they were really getting into it finally. Well, and I think another way of looking at original sin for people who aren't like super well-versed in all this stuff is essentially it's free will, right? Right. Like it's, it's the idea that Eve was allowed to eat an apple even though God told her not to. Right. And like you could have had a world theoretically where God created humans who just obeyed him all the time who were just like these robots, but that didn't happen. And that's free will and that's original sin, and I guess maybe that's dust, too, depending on how you look at it. Right. I took a whole class called God and Human Suffering that was about just that. Did you? Did they figure anything <laughs> out? How did you do in that class? Did you, yeah, did you figure it I out? I did great. Well, I mean, the idea is essentially, like, free will means you have the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? right. It means you get to live your life the way you want to, but it also opens up the possibility for evil in the world. Right. And, and like, if, and you if can't you, have it, I, you know, like and, that's how it exists. And if you cut ways. away people's sin, quote unquote, and making little quote, quote marks with my fingers, then you end up sort of dead inside or in your eyes like that sad nurse. Yeah. yeah or Sister the, or Clara. the severed kids. Yeah. Then there's no point in any of yeah. it. And this, this has been like under the whole story the whole time, all yeah. this very strange, heady stuff about original sin and theology. And, I, I don't know if it's good that – remember I said that we just started hearing the name of the authority for the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the strategy of sort of backloading it to now as a big reveal was perhaps the wisest. Yeah, I'll admit yeah. that it's still a little intellectually muddy for me, like what, what they believe and why. And I mean this, it was the clearest explanation of what they think dust might be, but it still doesn't totally – makes sense but it, it's it doesn't make sense to me in an interesting way so that's not a critique of the storytelling it's more just that it feels like they're sort of tying themselves in knots to connect the world of theology to the world of science which is you know a thing that is in our world too <laughs> um but this idea that they're blending those two worlds that they're trying to do scientific experiments to prove or disprove something that is theology. Right. As a matter of fact, they use the phrase experimental theology right. as to yeah. what they're doing at Bolvanger, which yeah. exactly captures what you're talking about. Yeah. That yeah. weird combination of scientific techniques and, you as know. As somebody who watches and reads things about theoretical physics for fun, not that I like <laughs> understand them, but I just am a big fan of, you know, the nerdery of space and physics <laughs> and all those things. I kind of want them to go deeper into that weird science lane. In the way that like a Doctor Who monologue might, but that I also know that like what we got is as far as we should go because it's not really that kind of show. Mm-hmm. 
So from there, Asriel again tells Lyra she comes from something extraordinary. Yes, we get that a lot. Uh, Mrs. Coulter is increasingly unhinged, which we've pretty solidly established in previous episodes as well. Um, And then Lyra wakes up and Asriel and Roger are gone. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, that whole sequence, I got no complaints. Uh, the, the just growing terror of what Azrael was doing with Roger, Roger's increasing concern, yet his inability to rebel and walk away, because that's not what he does. He's a good kitchen boy. Um, Lyra's desperate chase with the help of, uh, of Yorick Bernison. It was awful convenient, I thought, that, that she he, could just run outside and be like, Yorick! And he's like, what's up? I'm here. He was there. I'm a king who just happens to be hanging out outside this weird lab. It had only been like one night, right? Yeah. He said, I'm going to hang here because he probably thought that they were maybe going to go back. Well, he said he'd stay near, but he like, you know. I also don't remember him bringing all his bears, but it was nice that they were there. Yeah. I was annoyed by the bear fight. You were annoyed by the bear fight? Yeah. Why? Because it felt unnecessary. Also, why is Mrs. Coulter suddenly in charge of the Magisterium Army? Again. They also, uh, we're getting toward the ending, which is what we should save to the end, but uh, we all remember the famous Chekhov thing, like if you have a gun Mm -hmm. in the the first act, it has to be fired in the second act. Mm -hmm. The first thing you see of Mrs. Coulter is her loading that revolver. When Mrs. Coulter appears for the final scene for her conversation with Azrael, the first thing you see of her is the revolver in like the back of her dress in a belt of some kind. Yeah. And she never uses it. I mean, the, the implication hmm. is she's there to kill Azrael. In fact, didn't she say, like in the prior episode, I'm going to kill Azrael? And given the chance, she doesn't. Yeah, they. I don't think they did a good job of selling that. The whole blimp scene was not part of the books and didn't make any sense. I mean, the big battle with the yeah, and then like, up. how does Mrs. Coulter magically show up at the top of this hill at yes. just the right moment? Like the, that. The, there were just a couple inconsistencies in that scene where I felt like if they had actually stuck to the books, it would have been so much stronger. Does I don't think Mrs. Well, but Coulter she shows, shows up, up at the she end does. of the book. She does. Yeah, she shows up at the end of the book, but you don't see her in a blimp. A minute before that, you know, there's just like, like, I don't know why they added that part. Well, they clearly wanted the big battle to be part of the climax of the season. Yeah. Which is a standard thing to have a climax. You know, let's have a big battle between the good guys and the bad guys. Well, but that happened. That often happens in the penultimate episode, which you could argue it did in this series with the Bullvanger stuff. Right. But so they, they put all that in. But then they had the problem of all these people are there fighting. How can we make sure that the final confrontation happens between just these three or four characters on top of a hill? And they had to struggle with that. I thought they at least attempted it to an explanation where they had that bit with the snow bridge. I cannot cross this bridge. Yes. And that is in the book. Oh. Because, oh, yeah, it's like, okay, so that's why Lyra's alone as she faces it. The the snow bridge thing is, like, kind of classic. It's like Harry Potter in the first book where he loses his friends along the way and then the last step of the journey he has mm-hmm. to do alone. Yes. That's pretty classic hero's journey. It sure is. So they just need to come up with some way to take all of the really great allies she has come up with across this first season and make sure none of them can be with her at the very end. We're getting a little all over the place, but when we get back, we will continue to discuss these final insane happenings of the last episode. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So Lyra 
has to cross the bridge, and then she essentially is there, though she has to climb a little bit to get yes. there. Yes, and right? they, they 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 use that problem of like there's a lower level and a higher level on the summit, basically to prevent Lyra from, from getting there in time. From getting there in time, there's that she's literally climbing up to the cage when the guillotine is lowered and she's blown back by the energy. Right, she's blown back by the energy, and that all happens before Mrs. Coulter shows up too. Right, right? okay. Yeah, Mrs. Col- the whole scene with Mrs. Coulter and uh, and is Lord once Azrael. the thing is already yeah, open. Yeah, it's, it's it's backlit by the gateway. You and I, together, we can take this universe apart and put it back together again. Yeah, we couldn't. Lie about whatever you want. Lie about the ablation wall, the magisterium. Lie about the girl. But do not lie about your ambition, your work, or who you truly are. You used to want to change the world. Then leave the magisterium. Come with me and we will change them all. But our child is in this world. My place is with her. That is not a lie. You want that? I want her with everything I have. This is your journey, not mine. Goodbye, Israel. I just don't buy it. No, particularly her thing like I I love my daughter and my yeah, work. Yeah, like work why is... bother having yeah, that really? in there? Because as far as we know, that she completely ignored her daughter for the first twelve years of her life. Right. And then once she met her daughter, he she tried to manipulate her and lied to her. Didn't even mention the fact that she was in fact her mother. So really, that's the motivating factor to prevent. Um, I mean, she says, "I'm not going to go with you because I have to be with my daughter." You don't even know where she is. Yeah, I found Makes that no sense. very yeah. frustrating. It's just like it was not a believable reason for her to not participate. And I think you have a reasonable enough thing where if she's just like, no, what you're doing is too crazy. I'm terrified of the magisterium. I can't possibly be involved. Like that to me would be much more believable. Right. And then there's a the whole other thing. He seems to be saying, you, come with me and we can bring down the magisterium. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to say to someone who for the entire TV episode <laughs> season has been working for the Magisterium. Well, and it has she been, has been messing with them a little, I yeah, guess. Well, she has been. But, I mean, considering what she's been doing, which is basically torturing and killing children in order to benefit, she keeps saying, the Magisterium's goals. It's a weird thing to say, well, you, you'd like to bring that Magisterium. Really? <laughs> is that what she's up to? There's also something kind of obnoxious about him being like, you're more ambitious than you seem, and then her to be like, no, 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 I want to stay with my child. Yes. Oh, it's no, just I'm just like... a simple wife and mother. <sighs> kind of a bummer. Yeah. It could have solved it in so many ways, right? too. It's like, if you're just Monday morning quarterbacking, even, you know, again, they, they made changes from the books, but even if we knew, for example, that she didn't know Lyra was alive until very recently, like that Azriel had run off with the baby oh, and disappeared. Sure. And then so then you might make me believe that she had actually wanted to be in the life of this. Right. Or if she know, had been character. keeping tabs on her through some other character that they had established early on, that that was a thing. Yeah. And, and what's also weird is that let's assume that that throughout this, for whatever reason, Mrs. Coulter had been devoted to the the interests of the magisterium for whom she works. Remember all the scenes in which she says, you need me, magisterium. I am the person who can help you advance your goals. If she no longer feels that way, maybe there should have been a very dramatic moment in which she acts on that, in which she pulls out her gun and shoots one of the creepy priests, perhaps, or arranges for Lyra's escape, or does something to betray the magisterium, Mm -hmm. as opposed to her just saying at the end, no, 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 no. Ah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I felt like it would have been more effective, too, if they had even managed to build up a little more heat between Azriel and Mrs. Coulter, because yes. it seemed like that was supposed to be part of it, was that, like, he was just so, like, he was seducing her with these ideas, and then she, like, that would, those proved irresistible to her, but yeah. even that, it just didn't, I just didn't buy it that she would, like, change her mind that quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, the thing that happens that we have kind of tiptoed around is that Roger is killed. Right. By Lord Azrael. And we know that for sure because his demon is no longer in yes. that cage. Yes. And he, he says and does nothing. There's that one line that says his face is still warm. Yeah. They make think maybe he's alive, but his demon's gone. Yeah. He's dead. And he's dead in the book, right? Yeah. 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 And and again, props to the TV makers for like, yeah, that's what happens. Lord Azrael, yes. this, this figure of admiration, this goal that we're trying to get to, this hero that we're trying to rescue, he just murdered a child for his yeah. own end. His daughter's best friend. His daughter's, make it even worse. Yeah. And I applaud them for going with that. Because yeah, I was, I was afraid worried they'd back off they weren't going to either. But here's the problem. We find out in the book, which takes place entirely in their world, the world of Lyra's Oxford, that the entire plot, everything that has been leading up to this moment, is Azrael figuring out a way to open a portal into another world, which is so important to him for his reasons of like rebellion against the magisterium and, and, and saving mankind from their oppression, that he's willing to sacrifice a child, to murder a child to do it. It's that important just to open that portal. We don't know where it is, but that's what he's going to do. That's the entire point of everything. And in the meantime, it turns out he could have just walked over to that like little park and just walk <laughs> yeah, through the sure. door. And, yeah. and, and the fact that they decided to do that, to give Boreal somehow this utterly effortless portal that's just always open, that no one else ever seems to find, kind of so weirdly undercuts the entire mm. plot of the story that I just can't get over why they did that. Even if you wanted to say, okay, season one, we were going to get Will Parry in there because we don't want to, as Trish said, drop him right in on episode one, season two. Mm -hmm. Great. There was no reason to have to introduce Lord Boreal into that plot line. He, it could have all happened in our world. If there would have yeah. been a way to do it. That would have been more confusing, maybe, because well, then it's like, then what is the then there's no connection. at Well, all, I mean, there are things means... you I mean, you know, there's all those hints about what happened to her father. The fact that her father is the same guy. I mean, you could have handled it, I think, if you had made that choice. Like there's no portal, but there is we will go. We, the viewer, will go back and forth between worlds and we will see something happening in our world that has resonance and meaning. It could have been done. Well, do you think maybe it's to introduce the concept that there are other ways of getting to other worlds beyond killing children? Well, that's coming up. That's what The Subtle Knife is about. But that, to me, is something that it should have saved because, I mean, it's one thing to find out after the fact that this extraordinary, murderous, evil yes. act yeah. wasn't, in fact, necessary. Yeah. You didn't have to sacrifice a child to do it. There are other ways. It's one thing to find that out after the fact, but it's another thing to present it as the crowning dramatic act. Of, yeah, uh, I could uh, see that. that. And then it turns out it wasn't necessary. He could have just walked over to the park. <laughs> I think it makes it all seem more evil and more narcissistic and more, I don't know. I think... You know, had he worked inside the system instead of outside of it, like Mrs. Coulter seems to be more willing to do, he might have found out from being inside the Magisterium how to get between worlds because clearly they know how and they know it exists. Well, or just Boreal does. 
Yeah. Well, it does anybody seem else know that everybody knows about it at all? It kind of seems like Boreal might be keeping that a secret. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, I, I would have loved to have been in the room when they were plotting this out and would have loved to hear their reasoning. Why, I mean, why this was something yeah. they decided to yeah. do with season one. I, I imagine it has to do with everything we've talked about. Let's introduce Will now. Let's give Boreal more of a role. He's kind of a fringe character mm-hmm. in the book. Let's give him more of a role. Let's have like a, a, a real strong B plot. But in the end, it kind of defeated the yeah. entire purpose of the A-plot. Yeah, I think actually that Boreal would for sure not tell anybody because it negates the entire existence of the Magisterium, right? right. Like they want to keep that on lock. Yeah. Oh, I super assumed, I guess, that the Magisterium knows and that part of why they have to keep such a tight lock on things is because they know that if they don't, people will figure out that there's something else. Oh, yeah. I, that it's not hypothetical to them. Yeah, I don't know. I would, I would guess that Boreal is the only one who knows that. Just based on the fact that he didn't even have conversations with anybody else. And remember, if we go way back to episode one, the whole story starts with Lord Azrael presenting at Jordan College his proof that there are other right. universes. Right. And that's what brings down the weight of the Magisterium yeah, upon escape him. The next that's day. bad. The fact yeah. that he has discovered this, that is, I believe, as they keep saying, uh, blasphemy or sacrilege or something. Yeah. Yeah. Scholastic Sanctuary. Scholastic Sanctuary. <laughs> I am so glad we got through at least the last three episodes with nobody saying Scholastic Sanctuary. That's true. That's very true. Let's listen to Lyra saying goodbye to Roger because it's really sweet. You gotta make sure they don't win. You gotta go, Roger. All right? Me and Pan going to go into the skies and we're going to search for dust. We will make sure your death is not in vain. Goodbye, Roger. The thing I wrote down right before that scene was, all these grown-ups. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I called up the last page of the book. Because yeah. Of the last sentence of the book. I we, was going to ask you to read the last sentence Because the, the, the fr- Everybody who's read the book remembers the first sentence, Lyra, or I, which is from memory, Lyra and her demon entered the library at Jordan College. Amazing, like, demon, what? The last line of the book, which I think is just as memorable. Oh, it's beautiful. So Lyra and her demon turned away from the world they were born in and looked toward the sun and walked into the sky. Oh, Ah! I love it so much. And I'm so glad they kept to that. And the, but I was looking at the page and the dialogue you just played is almost from the book. We've got to do, we've got to go up there and search for dust. But you know what line they added? Your death will not be in vain, Mm. which made me go, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is which is a line that has never been said in real life. It is only said <laughs> in fictions and movies and TV shows over the corpse of somebody. Your death shall not be in vain. You know, all right. Maybe uh, maybe Lincoln said it at Gettysburg. Other than that. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll have to find some instances of it know, out in the world. But it was such a, a bit of like written yeah. stuff. That I was like, why? Why did you do, yeah. do that? Yeah, but I thought they pulled it off generally pretty damn well, considering. Oh, yeah. I, again, my quibbles, I hope, uh, do not take away from the fact that I thought this was finally a really good episode. Do you think Will's phone is going to work? It's <laughs> 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 like, uh, what's going to happen to his streak in the New York Times crossword puzzle yeah, app? Right. If he can't get, 
you know, I worry service, about this. You if know, you can't like get if service. You didn't, yeah, because you can't download those ahead of time. Can no. You? Yeah. No, I had to, I lost my iPad briefly <laughs> and I was terrified that it wouldn't upload. I was, I was so terrified of the fact that if, if the crossword puzzle that I had completed before losing the iPad had not uploaded in time to the server, it would not give me credit for keeping my streak going. And like, so when I see... <laughs> Well, I'm like, if you cross into another universe, yeah. can you still reach the New York Times crossword puzzle yeah, server? That's really, the only important thing. It's a really important question. Really Guys, is. he's like 14. He's going to be TikToking, not crosswording. That's a good point. Well, but I'm I mean, to relate to I think partly what makes it <laughs> like the the question really caught me because, of course, you know, these books were written before 14 year olds had iPhones. Right. So that would just was not it was not a thing in the books at all. And I'm just curious the extent to which it's a thing in the show. We'll, fi- we'll find out, presumably, next So, season. Peter, Trisha, I have a question for you guys. Yes. Do you want to recap season two of this show? <sighs> That's a tough one. <laughs> I'm re- I mean, I knew you were going to ask me that, and, and I'm really torn. Uh, and, and, and here's why I'm torn. On the one hand, to be unexpectedly sentimental, I love doing this with you guys. It's so much fun. Uh, and I've discovered that the fun I have doing this with you guys is not connected to the quality of what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's, that's, an that's, very nice. that's a good thing to learn. Yeah. But on the other hand, uh, I keep going back to uh, what that tweeter said that I cited a couple of episodes ago. It's like, why are you harshing on this TV show? Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, as I think is pretty clear, I didn't think it was great. I thought, <laughs> considering how much I love the books, I thought it was quite disappointing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and what's frustrating about it, in particular, is that. It really could have been better. We're not talking about some stupid knockoff, low-budget thing that somebody did because they owned the rights. We're talking about a premiere production from HBO and BBC. They had all yep. the money and all the talent in the world, and it pops up, and you can see, you know, they used to say you can see the money in the screen. You can see the talent on the screen. There's James McAvoy and, and Ruth Wilson and all these amazingly great actors and designers, and it still just fell short, and it just, ah, it makes me frustrated. And those of people who out there who like it, I don't know if they will benefit from me getting on the mm. podcast every week and saying, that sucked. <laughs> what do you think, TB? I mean, I think that if I wasn't recapping it, I'm not sure how eager I would be to keep watching the TV show. Yeah. But I am reading the books voraciously. So it did that. Like, it did its job yeah. in that it made me excited enough about this world and these characters that I picked up a book, which is Greta knows, like, I don't read a lot of novels. Yeah. Um, so that's actually a big a big thing for me to actually, like, go buy a physical book and three of them and read them. And there's, like, a Bobita book club happening. There is. My mom and my brother and I. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. I-, I will say to listeners, if if you've watched the show, if you've hung with us and you're a little disappointed like I am and you're thinking, what's the big deal? Read the books. Yeah. You will find out yeah. what the big deal is. Yeah. And I think that the TV show varied from the books enough so that the books will still be powerful and meaningful and great. For sure. Well, and what's really exciting is, you know, I mean, the only book so far that the TV show exists of, obviously, is The Golden Compass. There are two more in the original series and yes. two extra books in this next series that, that are have not also read. great. I, I have no doubt. Philip Pullman is really, really good at what he does. Yeah. The, especially the most recent one was such a pleasure. Yeah. To read. And, and I'm going to say that I don't know if you felt this way. I don't know if you've watched it. But the other HBO show of the fall that I watched was uh-huh. Watchmen. Yeah. Which I thought was. I just I, finished it last night. What'd you think? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, oh, my it's gosh. So, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's. Uh, yeah. I mean, I keep I keep wanting to bring it up because 
There's, you know, again, beloved source material that pre-exists the TV show. Bad movie. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, there are a lot of weird parallels. A lot of weird parallels, but also, I mean, it's not meant for children, (laughs) clearly. Whereas this, I think, I mean, in some ways, the thing that this did right, but just wasn't done for us, is that I think they did make a show that Marcel and Courtney could watch together. Right. And really enjoy. Which is important. It's it's good enough kids TV that adults can watch it happily. I used to have young kids. It's important. But it's kids TV. And But that shouldn't get in the way. I mean, the Harry Potter movies are kids' movies on a great level, and yet many of them are excellent. So, I mean, there's no reason why a show for parents... I mean, all the Pixar movies. There's no reason yeah, why a show right, for parents right. and kids can't be excellent. I wanted to tell you, too, we got an amazing email from a woman named Gabriella in Montreal. She wrote us 1,028 words all about how CGI is, like, super expensive and hard yes um she works in cgi she says she works in visual effects as a character fx artist which means she makes fur and feathers and skin and cloth on characters move and she says even cheating a lot to bring cost and workload down it would be thousands of human hours and thousands of computer hours to create a bar fight sequence where everyone has a demon yeah and i i had come to i I appreciate uh, that person writing in and putting it so clearly yeah i had gotten that impression from like my friend michael johnson at pixar oh right and and like yeah it's really expensive i I would and again who knows what went on in the rooms like well we can do this but we can't have demons can we do it without demons we're gonna have to do it without demons and what would that have been like yeah we also got a really great email from someone named Sarah, who said that Lin-Manuel Miranda's Lee Scoresby is actually a better approximation of Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly than he is of Han Solo. I can buy that. Which I think actually yeah, is that pretty might be awesome. What he's channeling. Yeah, because right? Malcolm Reynolds... Because he's not like he's, he's, he's a teddy bear version of Han right, Solo. Right, exactly. Like he's Malcolm not a Reynolds, jerk, but Ca- he he'll take your money. Captain Mal would not have shot first. Right. <laughs> that <laughs> exactly. sums it up. <laughs> All right. Well, keep in touch with us in 2020. We'll see what happens next. The show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Our theme music was composed by the wonderful Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. We are Nerd at Podcast on Twitter. Trisha is Trisha Bobita. I am Greta M. Johnson. Peter is Peter Segel. And you can also keep in touch with us using the hashtag Nerd at Recaps. And sign up for our newsletter. That's where you'll get all of the news about what's next for us. You can do that by going to wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. Is that it? I mean, I want to recap something else. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We'll think of something. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.